Welcome to the Lockdown Dads podcast with me, Ian Dinwiddie, and my co-host, James Miller. We have 46 episodes available for you to explore with us and our amazing guests. Among many fascinating conversations, learn the personal stories and pandemic insights from politicians, PhDs, and an international rock star. If you do enjoy the content, why not visit inspiringdads.co.uk and sign up for our next webinar that explains why supporting new dads at work is the route to gender equality. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lockdown Dads. I'm James Miller, author of Dads Don't Babysit, which if you've got eagle eyes, you can see over my shoulder, uh, editor of workingdads.co.uk and father of two children. And as ever, I am joined by... Hi, uh, my name's Ian, Ian Dinwiddie. I'm the founder of Inspiring Dads, a coaching business that helps stressed dads to balance work and fatherhood. Got a couple of kids of my own. Got an 11-year-old and 8-year-old. They're still at school and it's all good news and the sun's out. Uh, and we're delighted to have a new guest with us here uh, today for episode number 38, uh, Rianne Mannings. She is the founder and chief executive of a charity called To Wish Upon a Star. Uh, someone that I've looked up to and someone I'm always massively impressed by what she has achieved. Um, she is an, has an MBE and she's also a Pride of Britain award winner. Rianne, welcome to the show. Oh, hi Ian, hello James. Oh, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, and we start off each show with a little check-in on how people are. So um, I know that um, in the past month or so, you've had a number of milestones, a number of significant dates in your life, but how are you this week? Good, thank you. Yeah, things are much better. I think things are starting to look a bit more positive. Been into the office, leaving the house, which is quite daunting, to be honest, at the beginning of the day. But by the end, it just feels just right. So, uh, yeah, spring is coming. So um, you've got to stay positive, especially at times like like now. Definitely. And the, and the Welsh rugby team, they're doing pretty well as well at the moment, I think. Yeah, let, let's just wait and see and see what happens tomorrow, shall we? <laughs> this isn't going out till Tuesday. That could look really bad. You might have to really cut that even though you, you've set yourself up there. No, definitely. I know how important the rugby side of things is for Ian, so it's <laughs> important to touch upon, I yeah, think. Obviously. And it makes such a big difference. Sport, just generally, makes such a big difference, I think, of of um you know it's such an undercurrent you know for people's lives i think last summer you know when the football wasn't on i my son in particular really was was really down about it so um he, he really loved the premier league coming back so support yeah my son my son's uh, 10 and he's uh, sport mad and i think he's suffered more than my daughter through the lockdown period because he's just not been able to do his sport and it's as outlet for his frustrations so um some weeks have been quite difficult with him yeah. I bet, I bet. So James, how are you this week? Um, obviously, I want to get that in first after last week's debacle. <laughs> yeah, last week when you were just like, yeah, whatever, I don't care how you are. Uh, yeah, all right. Up and down this week, I would say. Do you know, it's a funny old time, I think, because, um, well, I, I came and met you, Ian, so obviously I was up. I, well, as you know, I was, I was very up that day because uh, I was going out. I'd had my home COVID test the night before. For the, for the first time in a year, I knew for certain I did not have COVID that morning. Um, and, you know, I was, yeah, it was quite up. But there's a flip side to that, isn't there? Because in, the next day I went out as well. And I went in to, to meet somebody and do some, like, for a work meeting. I thought, oh, my goodness. Um, but the flip side to that, of course, is that we're not there yet. And that is the bit that I think is still kind of getting me down, is that you're getting close to normality, but it's still a long way out of reach, actually. Um, I was talking to the kids. I don't know if it's how, <laughs> how, how suitable it was, but I, to be honest, it's partly because it's a scene from a film that I remember really well as a kid, 
but I was talking, we were talking about The Great Escape because um, that's coming up in Friday Night Film Club that we do in our house. So not, not for a few weeks because uh, we've had too many sad endings recently. Um, but the bit where the guy runs up the, the fence and entangles himself in the barbed wire, I remember that as a kid because that's really quite alarming in a way. But I also can sort of, that's slightly extreme, but I do sort of have a bit of that at the moment. Is that it's just like, oh God, I just want to get out of this now and get it over with. Um, so it's, a, it, yeah, I think, you know, up and good. And I think a lot of people are feeling good and it's spring, but there is that sort of dark undercurrent of, oh, it's still going to be, what have we got? Another three weeks till, certainly in England, of course, different in Wales, yeah. uh, till we get, uh, you know, till we get shops open. Oh, brilliant, you know. <laughs> That's what I've been waiting for, is go to the shop. It turns out it is what I've been waiting for. Uh, yeah, so a bit of a mixed bag, I would say. But, you know, generally, I, I quite like having the good bit. That's for sure. That certainly felt better than I have for a long time, getting out and, and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. Um, how are you this weekend? Uh, good. Um, you know, I enjoyed meeting up as well in the park um, and seeing you hobble around with your bad back, which everyone's been talking, you've been talking about. And it was good to see, you know, hopefully it's still improving. So that was great. Just getting out and doing something and chatting about, about this podcast, what we might do in the next season, what we might do longer term than that. So exciting times. I've also booked a haircut. Yay. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, it's still a month away. And I think I can survive a month before, uh, before I need to go. So, so that's good. Really enjoying that. Um, looking forward to meeting my dad when the, the chance arises. We're going to, we're going to meet in Stonehenge, where we can, which is kind of part, way, part, part of the way onto Somerset. And uh, it's free because we're all National Trust members. So, yeah, we're going to meet in the car park and also go and see Stonehenge. And also because you're druids and you're going to sacrifice oh, yeah. a pig while you're there or something, is that right? Yeah, it's, it's, my, it's our heritage, I think, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Strange. West country. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's all about. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's been all good. So, Rian, um, this part of the show is when we explore with our guests their path. Um, obviously, I've talked about your charity and To Wish Upon a Star. So, um, can you take us back to how it all started and, and tell us about your boys, about uh, George and Paul? Yeah, so um, I started back in 2012. I was a PE teacher. Life was pretty normal. Paul, my husband, and I had three children, Holly, Isaac, and George. Three children under three, quite chaotic. Um, normal day, but uh, sadly in the evening, our youngest son, George, fell ill very suddenly, was taken to our local hospital, um, but within two hours of being admitted, he passed away. So devastating, you know, completely out of the blue, completely unexpected. And over the next few days, what was clear very quickly was that there was no support available to us as a family. We were very much abandoned by the system, really. Luckily, we had amazing family and friends around us, which was just, you know, we were lucky in that respect. Um, but five days after George died, uh, Paul, my best friend, my husband, um, he took his own life, traumatised by what we'd been through, um, leaving leaving my world in tatters and a single mum or a double mum, I call myself a double mum really, um, looking after my two and three-year-old and that was the start of the journey. I mean that's 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 a hell of a start to any journey um, but obviously you you know when I, we're, we're here we're, to some extent we're talking about the charity so clearly at some point you decided to make this into a uh, you know, that's a very dark start and you decided to, to make something positive out of it. What, at what point did that kick in? It kicked in really quickly, actually. I've always been a very positive person and and Paul was, was the best, you know, as was George and they deserved to be remembered. We deserved more as a family, that support that wasn't available. So it was literally before the funeral, I decided I, I wanted to make sure that 
families got better support in our local area. It was going to be a little hobby, perhaps a bit of therapy. Um, I didn't have a clue that I'd identified a national gap. And um, very quickly, I started throwing myself into it. Did I throw myself in probably too quickly? Uh, maybe, but it was the way I was going to deal with it. And I certainly have no regrets. Um, and yeah, you know, it was just so important that we, I just needed something to keep me going because if I hadn't have, I think, I don't think I'd be here to share my story today. It seems utterly bizarre. It's like all the, you know, all the best ideas and that is obvious to some extent. I mean, you know, uh, how can there not have been anybody offering any support? I mean, that just seems completely weird. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, to some extent it's not, I suppose, but, you know, you just sort of think, well, was nobody thinking about it? Um, I don't know. Why wasn't there any support? And, and I mean, what sort of support were you looking for that presumably you know provides through the charity? Don't we needed somebody to come out to us or at least phone us or give us some detailed information? You know, we're talking, we didn't even get a piece of paper. We got a piece of paper with some phone numbers on. Some of them were out of date and I'm still waiting for the rest of them to contact me today. Um, national charities. And we just needed somebody to come out and say, when this happens, you are going to blame yourself. When this happens, this is the type of thing you're going to feel because we are all different and I, I get that. But there are still some common themes. And the one thing that I've discovered ever since is that you blame yourself when this happens. And that was what happened to Paul. He blamed himself because he was a dad and he let us down in his words and he should have done better. And that's that's not true. And someone should have been here to, to support us and help us. And in terms of the work you've done with organisations and you said like the system sort of letting people down, do the, in, do the individuals on the ground recognise the system failings and, and the gaps that are there in the same way that perhaps you did and you experienced yourself? Yeah, they did. And, and you know, I, I can't thank everyone here in Wales, especially because, you know, no one shut a door in my face. If anything, they said, we're sorry, this, happen this is happening every single day in A&Es across Wales. And, you know, I went round and literally walked into every A&E department in Wales and asked for the person in charge. I didn't go to the big offices of the, the, um, the, the people in the office. I went to the people who were dealing with this every single day. And I said, what will happen today if a child died suddenly? And the same thing to, that happened to us would have happened to them. And, you know, they have recognised that and they have worked with us. And that's why we've got an agreement with every police force and hospital in Wales to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I mean, it shows how much it was, you know, how much it's, a, you know, it's not obvious, but you know what I mean? That there was clearly a, a, a glaring gap. And as you say, now you've filled that gap to a large extent. It's amazing. Thank you. And obviously you've talked a lot about your story and, and I, I imagine that when you first started explaining why it was important and why the charity was important, that, that couldn't have been the easiest thing at all to start with. How did you kind of, how did that sort of sense of confidence and the importance of sharing your message, how did that change, Rian, over time? You know, what sort of strength did you draw upon to, to get that message out there? It's, it's so strange. You know, people say to me all the time, I don't know how you survive. I don't know how you do it. But actually, I don't really. And I would never have been able to talk so openly about other things in my life before. Um, I truly believe that Paul left his strength with me and 
he was the person that has made me stronger. Um, and yet in the beginning, I used to use notes. I used to read everything word for word. I used to cry a lot. And then I just started realizing that by sharing my experiences and talking so openly about it, not only was helping me with my mental health, but was helping so many others, um, talking to police officers and healthcare workers and other families. Um, and as time's gone, I think I've become more passionate about it. Um, and, and I can almost park my emotions before I go into a room. I cry probably most of the time when I leave and on the way home. But in a way, I think that's just a sort of a relief, if anything. And, and I actually really enjoy doing it now because I know it is making a difference to other people. You're so English, Ian. You're so English. That can't have been the easiest thing in the world. Well, that's one way. Of <laughs> All right, sorry. That's one way of putting it. I mean, <laughs> um, no, okay, yeah. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being English. I'm just saying that's a very English way of phrasing it. You know, I like it. Uh, not saying not saying anything wrong with being English at all. Just saying hey, that you know that jumps out, doesn't it? I I I, I remember meeting Rian for the first time, and it might not have been the first time because um, I knew Paul very well, and we were both we're both from Taunton, and we may well have met in a UBS nightclub in. Taunton at some stage it's quite possible um, however I remember the first time I met Rian and she had it together you had it together in a way that I didn't at all uh, and and I can and I and there have been times when I've talked about your story and it's been it's been really easy for me to do and explain why it's important because I you know, do a charity hockey match and I've, I've spoken at that match several times but there have been other times just randomly where I haven't been able to do it and someone else has spoken on my behalf other people have known Paul so I know that kind of that that shift in emotions and I appreciate it's not maybe not yeah understated way of putting it but um uh, absolutely sort of now I'm now I'm amazed that they have nightclubs in Taunton I thought you all just got your scrumpy and sat in a field looking at the stars I thought that was entertainment I thought that's all they had in Taunton no that that was that was mid mid 90s it was like that it got more sophisticated honestly (laughs) 3 p.m 3 a.m opening (laughs) I do want to talk about that. I mean, this is lockdown dads, right? So I want to talk about the dad side of it and, and Paul as a dad and, and what that meant. But I do want to touch on the lockdown side of it as well, because, uh, you know, as you say, you were left without any sort of support, um, you know, when, when these b- double tragedies hit you. Um, presumably, in terms of delivering what the charity does now and anybody that's going through it in the last 12 months is in a similar, you know, is in a similar sort of boat in that it's very hard to deliver that, that support I don't know, face-to-face or in a tangible way. So it must have been hard for the charity. And, and to some extent, it must have sort of reminded you of what it was like, uh, your experience of it, was it? Yeah, very much. You know, people are very different. So some of our families um, who have lost during lockdown have struggled because they've not had anyone there to support them. And the funeral itself, you know, just horrific for anyone who's lost anyone at the moment. But some of our families have actually found it okay, because it means there's no pressure on them. They've been locked away, but they haven't had to face people. They haven't had to share their experiences. Um, And what's been interesting is families who've lost before the lockdown, who have always had those people around them, that was taken away from them. So their sort of grief has been extremely difficult as well. So it's a real, real mixture of how people have coped with it, really. And presumably for the charity, it's a headache because, you know, there's lots of pictures of you on the internet on bikes and running and, I don't know, playing hockey, God knows what else. Uh, you can't do any of that for the last 12 months. So presumably financially, it's a, a headache as well. It has been. You know, a year ago this week, obviously, we shut the doors of our office and I honestly never thought we would open them again because we're self-funded. We don't get any funding. 
Um, but actually, our services have continued. We do home visits. That's the only thing that's sort of been on and off because of the, if the restrictions have been particularly tight. And yes, we haven't done any face-to-face events, but we have incredible community supporting Tawish. We have a lot of families who want to give back to Tawish. And we have fundraised throughout the whole pandemic, just virtually. And it's been, you know, there's no words to thank people for believing in us still. So we've done okay, but it's time now to get out and meet people. People thrive on face-to-face contact, especially the people who, who want to get involved in Tawish, because a lot of them have been, been touched by, by bereavement. Yeah, and things are looking up in Wales in that regard, aren't they? You're, you're very much on the unlock path now, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we're staying local at the moment. And then next week, we, we may be allowed to, to move a bit freely around around Wales. So um, fingers crossed. But I think a lot of people are still, like like everyone in England, you know, we just want to do it right so we don't lose any more, any more loved ones. Absolutely. And in terms of one of the things that's quite striking about To Wish is the, is the elephant. And the, the boxes and the, and, and the boxes that you that you prepare and you support. And that's sort of one of the things that I, always strikes me about about the charity. So tell me, tell me about what goes into the box and, and how that helps people. Yeah. So when George died, I, I'll never forget the nurses just panicked because they couldn't find anything to perhaps take some fingerprints or handprints or some some of his curls. And I wanted something that, yes, would be amazing for our families, but something that would be easy for, for staff to find and use. So they take the handprints of the child, they take curls from the child, but the big thing in our boxes are the elephants. So we have two elephants and we use elephants because elephants never forget. Obviously that's why people think about elephants, but we actually chose elephants because it's still very much the subject, um, the elephant in the room, child death, because people don't want to talk about it. People still, if they see me coming now, it's not as bad, but a few years ago, they'd hide behind the shelves in Tesco because they didn't want to speak to me, which is, which is fine. You grow a thick skin. Um, and the idea behind the elephants is one is tucked in with the child after they've passed away and one stays in the box. Um, so families have that connection when they have to leave their child in the hospital. And we go in and we train the staff on how to use the handprints, how to have a conversation, but also about including dads. very much into those conversations because very often it's the mum that's perhaps crying and is is really struggling at the time and the dad straight away his arm around his partner or his wife and obviously losing losing Paul has has really switched me on to to men and mental health and emotion and I'm very much like remember they're both in this together so um, we do training around the boxes as well and and the feedback on them is is mind-blowing really. It's the, the thing we talk about a lot, isn't it? It's the, the um, airplane analogy, which come back time and time again. Is put on your gas mask before you help anybody else. And, and um, strangely enough, I, I'm in touch with somebody today who set up a, a site called uh, Miscarriage for Men. So it's a you know a, a different but related sort of sort of area. And again, it's all that sort of stuff. And I, I remember speaking to Will Quint's MP, who did a lot about this, who said exactly that is that men just get forgotten about because they feel that they've got to put their arm around it, that they should be strong, that that's what they do, that's what men do. It sounds like, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, I'll let you explain, but it sounds like to some extent that's what went on with Paul, um, that there was, you know, a masculinity that he felt he had to live up to. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's why we lost him, was because he, you know, he said it in his words, he felt he'd failed me as his wife, he'd let the children down, he should have looked after George better, he should have taken him to hospital and not waited for the ambulance, um everything along those lines and we but we did talk 
you know, it wasn't as if he hid those emotions that weekend. You know, he did talk to me about them and he was upset. But yeah, I truly believe he he just felt that he should have done better and, and, and prevented this happening, which, gosh, you know, it's, it's just not true at all. There's the there's the problem though, isn't there? To some extent, I mean, there you go, I've solved it. I've got the problem. Uh, but you know, it's that disconnect, isn't it? It's that, as you say, he was he was willing to talk to you, and lots of men feel that you know who I am doesn't match up with masculinity or what is expected of me, and yet that masculinity or masculinities, and we'll maybe mention that in a moment because there's a very interesting report out this week from the OECD mm-hmm. about masculinities, uh, is so overwhelming you know that that men fall victim to it and it just it's it's the space in between is the problem isn't it you know his exact words to my sister at one point was daddies shouldn't let their children die you know and I think that says so much and I you know for the rest of my life wish he'd said more I wish I'd noticed more um and Paul was a very god he was just such a, a had such presence and, you know, he was always in control. He'd give anything for anyone and was so dedicated to us as a family. You know, I think he just realised that this is something he couldn't have controlled. And, you know, he his inquest was really interesting because actually they, they actually came back to say that he didn't intentionally take his own life and that it was accidental death, which we know. We know what happened that day, but they truly believe it, the trauma of what we'd gone through um, was, was enough to to blow his mind basically yeah it's but again he's not alone is he that's that's the thing you know i'd say uh, just in, in well not in passing because it's actually quite apposite to this is there's an oecd report out this week about masculinities it's called what's it called uh, man enough i think the report's called man enough it's about these ideas of you know quite smart i think that we talk about toxic masculinity but it says actually there's masculinities um and they refer to men feeling that they should be the breadwinner for example they should look after the members of the family you know there's um you know they should be stoic is one of them you know they should got to be strong and, and all the rest of it um and i suppose that what's missing from that analysis which i think is spot on is where does it come from you know <laughs> where are they you know it sounds like paul was aware of it and, and wasn't necessarily modeling it to some extent and yet this thing this masculinity is floating around and pressing down on us all and we're all you know how does it who's creating it where's it coming from um and it you know and we're all victim to it to some extent it's um i don't know again it it feels like that's where the 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 solutions lie is going where the hell is this thing coming from and then how do we start unpicking it i don't have the answer to that unfortunately no so it's a it's a big old topic isn't it um it's sort of those pressures and, and those individual and, and how you process it, I, I guess, as much as anything. Um, Rian, from your work with families, uh, do you get a sense over time that men are perhaps getting more comfortable or being open a, a, about, um, about those particular trauma and the stress and the anxiety and everything that's around, around sort of men. I mean, bereavement, bereavement being a particular sort of um, trauma. Um, are men getting better, do you think, over time about expressing their emotions and maybe getting help? I think it's improving. I think a lot, a lot has changed. There's been a shift definitely over the last few years with regard to men speaking out more, lots of great organisations out there, um, mental health being a conversation. Through our organisation, we still see a divide. 
you know, all our service, all our support is offered across the board. But would would if I looked at our statistics and our numbers of families, we would be looking at the majority. The majority of those going for counselling are are the mums, um, the grandparents, the, the grandmothers, um, the ones who well, we because we make a call the day after the the deaths happened. If dad answers, he always hands the phone to mum. A lot of the time, that type of thing. But what we decided to do, rather than try and make men do something that perhaps they don't feel comfortable with, was we came up with some ideas like the men's rugby team. We've got a, a rugby team for dads, a football team for dads. We're creating a cricket team for dads. And they all come. And they don't talk necessarily about it, that they're struggling, etc. But they know they've got that common thing between them. They'll have a chat over a pint in the bar afterwards. And you know what? That's fine, you know, because that's the way that they're dealing with it. When we get concerned, if we have no contact at all with the dads, um, uh, and that's fine, you know, they can come to us whenever they want. But um, there's definitely an improvement, but I would say we've still got quite a long way to go. Yeah, rugby is interesting. It's actually the Welsh rugby team are really quite good at all this, aren't they? No, right, here we go. Going in with the, the, I, I haven't watched the rugby for far too long. I don't know why. I've kind of lost track with it, but... Who's the massive? Who's the massive one? Well, there's 15 massive ones. <laughs> is it Alan Wynne Jones? Is he the one? He did a lot. Of, he's done a lot of stuff around. I think he did a lot of stuff about shared parental leave, and he very much flags up his role as a dad, uh, you know, and how important that is to him, uh, and how that sort of fits in with everything else. I think hasn't he? They're, you know, the Welsh rugby team, like them or not, <laughs> um, they are extremely. They're, they're role models. You know, they're, you know, people look up to them. We all look up to them. And I think like for the younger generation as well, and to see them, they're very, there's a lot of them speaking out about their mental health. There's a lot of them speaking up about different things that affect the nation. And it's really important to have people in the public eye, you know, talking about this stuff, because that's when people think, and it's not, not right, but that's how the world works. And I think that's so important. Of course, Rian, um, I think Sam Warburton got involved in one of the in one of the early sort of fundraising events. And then since then, you've had a number of celebrity ambassadors have, have got involved in the charity. Um, and how did it come about with Sam and how did how did the ambassador kind of idea come about? Like I said, people people like someone in the public eye. That's the way it is. And I, I'm not a big believer in having people for the sake of it. Uh, they have to have a, an interest in what we do. You know, they may have been experienced by something similar. So Sam, we had mutual friends. And, and honestly, the communities around here, when they found out what happened to our family, was amazing. So he just wanted to help, like, like everybody did. So um, he's not an ambassador now. He does so much for so many other charities, but he'll do anything for us. You know, I give him an email or, or a text and he'll do whatever. Um, and then we had Will Champion, who... Um, you know, new Paul obviously knew you, knows you, um, and he wanted to become involved again, really important. And then people we've just grown to know, like Nick Knowles, I've got to know him through my mental health work. Um, so yeah, we've got incredible people to, to believe in what we do is just means so much. We need to we need to talk about the greatest of all celebrities, the greatest Welsh celebrity, uh, Michael Sheen, super actor. Where does where does he come into the story? Eh, eh, eh. Well, actually, I, I can, I can, I'll tell you, uh, well, I met him about seven, six years ago when I won a award in Wales, so a St David Award, which is like a Welsh Pride of Britain, and he presented it to me. And ever since then, he is what you see. He just 
loves the Welsh people. He's so passionate about making difference and things like that. So we stayed in touch. And then when I was awarded the Pride of Britain in uh, October, he turned up to surprise me and awarded that to me, which is phenomenal, really. You know, he's the only disappointing thing was my kids didn't recognise him. <laughs> it's the beard, his, his, his lockdown hair and beard is a, is a, it's a thing of beauty. It's so, I've got a photo of him giving me the award five, six years ago, and the award, the difference is just incredible. Um, but this is hot off the press, actually. Um, but um, I've been in touch with him recently, and he's just agreed to become an ambassador for To Wish Upon a Star. So um, he's quite limited. His time's limited because he lives in America, you know, he's back and forth, but he just wants to get involved. So that's amazing. Oh, that's amazing, next, yeah. Next series, Ian. Next series. Series series four. Oh. Michael Sheen, super actor. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go first. And, so yeah, I go first yeah. and I've got, I don't know, I don't know if my tip's a bit creepy this week, but, you know, you can tell me if it is. Um, it is uh, take pictures of your children while they're asleep. <laughs> is that creepy? Is that creepy? Um, I don't know. Well, I... I you know, when they're asleep, oh, they look nice though, they're asleep, don't they? They look all lovely when they're asleep. And I've got one or two of the kids when they were little, you know, they come up in the memories. I remember taking them on a holiday of them, you know, absolutely wiped out in a, in a sort of little sofa bed in Greece. Um, and my son was asleep this week and he wasn't feeling very well and he looked all peaceful. And I was like, oh, go on, I'll take a picture of him. It's a bit creepy, but at the same time, they grow up so quick, right? And, you know, they do actually look peaceful and they do actually, you know, allow you to take their picture when they're asleep. Again, there might be an issue of consent in there somewhere, but, you know, they're, they're my children. So I don't know. If it's a creepy one, then let's not add it to the list. But I think it's worth once in a while, because uh, you will look back and think, mm. oh, don't they lovely? And that is when they look their loveliest, when they're not actually talking to you or doing anything awful. <laughs> so, um, there you go. That's my tip. Uh, slightly creepy tip this week. Take pictures of your children. Not loads. Not like every night or anything. That would yeah, be weird. Don't share like, on social oh, media. Maybe don't right. share on social media at the same time. I don't no. know. Uh, yeah, when they're older, you can do it. Put it on social media. <laughs> uh, particularly when they're little. Uh, there you yeah. go. There's my tip. What's yours, Ian? Uh, I don't know where to go after that one. Um, I, I, I guess, I guess, really, it's it's about stopping and reaching out for men, and and, and for men to recognise when they they do have a problem. I guess, uh, and that's you know particularly important. We talked about sort of plugging in the battery, and when Brian last week's guest talking about you know your phone, you know, when you're low on battery, recognising that and and plugging in and taking time and and taking time to get the support and help you need. Um, you know, I, 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 my, my tip originally was about my car battery, and it's, but it does fit together. Uh, so my, my, my car has run battery has run flat six times, I think, in the over the course of um, over the course of the last year, because we just don't. It's second car, we don't use it very often. It's just for running around and all the rest of it. And so I bought a battery to recharge it, a, a plug-in fast charger, so that I don't have to panic anymore whether we've got a car that's available. If one of them, I thought one of them flat tire, and the other one turned out it wasn't. But the other car is ready to go really quickly. Recharging your batteries and recognizing that, I think. Nice that is a cracking metaphor, right? Like that is very, uh, I don't know, very visual, very literal metaphor. I like yeah, it. Rian, how, how about you? Have you got a tip for dads this week? Well, I don't know what to say after those two. Um, <laughs> definitely that actually reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness, is often a sign of strength. And you know, I look back and I've got to give anything now to, to say to Paul, reach out, reach out. So please, if you're struggling, if there's anything on your mind, talk to somebody. Because honestly, just by talking, even that will help a little bit and lift that weight off your shoulders. 
perfect it's a goodie isn't it it's a like all again simple one but it's a good one a very good one let's face it it is and um, where can people go to connect with you and find out more about what the charity do Rian? oh i'd love you to look at our website it's www.towishuponastar.org um all the details are on there follow us on social media you know follow what we're doing it, it, it'll mean the world to us and as I said, if you, if you need support, if you live in Wales and that you've lost a child, a young adult in certain circumstances, please reach out if you need any support. And if not, you know, get in touch and we can signpost you to other organisations that are out there. Fantastic. Well, hopefully people will be listening to this, we become more aware of what you do and the amazing work that you guys do and um, supporting bereaved families. I think it's, uh, I think, you know, I, I, I remain in awe of what you've achieved and what oh. you've done. So. And thank you for all your support, Ian. You've been fantastic. No problem. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, so thank you very much for coming and joining us today, Rian. Um, this has been episode number 38 of Lockdown Dads. If you've enjoyed this content, do give it a like, a subscribe. And we look forward to our final episode of the current season. Next week will be episode number 39, where it will just be James and I next week. And we'll be reflecting back on our guests and what, and what, we've, and what we've talked about, the topics that have come up and the tips. And, and I think, you know, there's been loads of great tips and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, do, do please join us next week for episode number 39 this week has been our guest has been Rianne Mannings. Rianne, thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much both. Good luck with everything. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Lockdown Dads podcast with me, Ian Dinwiddie, and my co-host, James Miller. We have 45 episodes available for you to explore with us and our amazing guests. If you enjoyed the content, why not visit inspiringdads.co.uk and sign up for our next webinar that explains why supporting new dads at work is the route to gender equality.